Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. By Zachariah's own admission, he was an old man and his wife Elizabeth advanced in years when an angel told him that he would have a son who would prepare the people of Israel for the coming of the Lord. Zechariah found this hard to believe since he and his wife had always been unable to have children. We can only imagine how Elizabeth must have responded when her husband told her of his encounter with the angel, but the gospel writer Luke tells us. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. As Elizabeth reached the third trimester of her miraculous pregnancy, an angel appeared also to a young woman named Mary, telling her that she would give birth to the promised Messiah, the very Son of God. To reassure her that what he was promising would really happen, the angel told her, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. After this encounter with the angel, Mary went with haste to visit her relative Elizabeth. When Elizabeth first saw Mary, her baby leapt in her womb, and filled with the spirit, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary stays for three more months before returning home. In her final appearance in this story, we see Elizabeth's faithfulness to the word of God that she had received. Luke tells us, The time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Amen. Amen. If you are here today, let me say this, I am not Tim Johnson. Though we both brown-skinned brothers with the fade, we all don't look alike, so there you go, there you go, there you go, amen, somebody. Um, If you are new, though, my name is uh, George, and I serve as one of the deacons here at the Ave, and I'm excited about our text this morning. I am deeply excited to bring God's word today. We are kicking off the first of our Advent series called The Faces of Advent. We'll be walking through the next couple of weeks from now until New Year's, four faces of the Christmas story. Elizabeth, uh, Zachariah, Mary, and Simeon, and I've been tasked with kicking off today, Elizabeth. She has a powerful story. And my hope is that as we traverse through her narrative, through her testimony, we can see the beauty of our God. Amen. 
So if you're looking up on the screen, we have four reasons why this is important this time of year. First is expectation, right? This, this is the season of God moving in the lives of his expected waiting people. It is a historical narrative in Israel's story that they are expecting God to bring about this promise that has been made known since the beginning of time. The second thing is this same Jesus that came the first time, we know it's coming back again. So Advent is God's foretaste of saying the same way I promised that my son would come the first time in person. He is coming back a second time in person, and we must all be ready for his second coming. Amen, somebody. The third thing is communion waiting, right? So again, Israel has been waiting as a community for God to do something special. And so in the Advent uh, season, and even for our church, the Avenue Community Church, right, we are in our, in our own way, waiting for God to do something amazing as we have purchased this amazing building on Summer and Highland. And we're waiting for God to bring us to this place that our pastors, our leaders are trusting God for, even as Israel waited, so the avenue is waiting for God to bring about this manifestation of us being in this new building. Right? We are a communal waiting people. And then lastly, why is this important to us this time of year? Tim preached this a couple weeks ago, and I had to quote it because it was so dope. It was so far, right? It was so far. He said, the God of the gap, right? We serve a God who even in the midst of our waiting is still moving. And so in the Christmas story, we see this because God, as he's bringing his son into the world, history keeps moving. History keeps going. History keeps moving. And so though God is not speaking through the prophets, God is guiding history in all its various ways as He's silent. He's still moving. And so as we think about Advent, as we think about Elizabeth, in God's silence, he is still working. If you wait for me to preach, I'm preaching right now. Here's our text. Luke 36, Luke chapter 1, 36 through 37. The angel says this. And consider your relative Elizabeth, even as she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month of her who was childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody, and to make how powerful and how true your point is, you have to call out somebody else? For example, it's football season. So if you want to say, man, the Dallas Cowboys are going all the way this year. And I can prove it to you because guess what happened? Did you hear what the Eagles said? <laughs> I see you, bro. Right? So to prove the Cowboys are going all the way, you may say, guess what? The Philadelphia Eagles GM was like, the Cowboys got a good roster. So you know what the rival says we're good. You know we're going to be good, right? So think about this in context of Elizabeth. And Mary, though Elizabeth is our person today, Mary gets the first revelation from God that she's pregnant. And so as this young woman is about to have the Messiah and she's scared, Gabriel wants to prove God's words by talking about Elizabeth. And he says, for she 
is pregnant. As I was looking at this, he says to consider her. I looked at the words, like what does this mean in the actual text? So I dusted off some of my seminary stuff, and I was like, you know, I got to understand this, right? So I dove into some basic, some basic Greek, right? Some li- a little bit of Greek, right? And so when he says to her to consider, he uses what's called an aorist active imperative verb. An aorist active imperative. As he tells this young teenage girl that's about to have a baby, look at your cousin Elizabeth. I'm going to go simple first and then move to hard really quickly. An imperative in Greek is when somebody is saying something and it's a command. So I'm saying something to you because I want you to move into the action of what I'm saying. So he says consider, imperative. Second thing is this, it is an active verb, which means that it's something to be carried out. So imperative, active, which means I'm saying something to you and I want you to carry it out in real time. And then lastly, it's it's an aorist, which means it is a past one-time action. So he's saying, God is so true to his word that consider your cousin Elizabeth who has had a baby, and I want you to think about what God is doing in her life. See what's going on with her and consider that if God can do it for her, he can do it for you. That's what he's saying to Elizabeth. And so Elizabeth, and so Mary is so overwhelmed by these words. What is the first thing she does? As soon as the angel says this, Mary goes to see Elizabeth. He goes, she goes to see her cousin. And she's thinking, she's old and having a baby. She's barren and having a baby. And I'm a virgin having a baby. This is, this is, this is crazy. Let me go see my cousin and to see what God is talking about. Let me see what this angel is talking about. This brings me to our first point of the text. That is this. God remembers the forgotten. We serve a God that remembers the forgotten. I have not talked about Elizabeth yet, but I will now. Of course, we know she's of old age, right? She is of old age, and she has never had kids. But the Bible also says that she and her husband, Zacharias, were righteous people. She was old, barren, and righteous. And also, just for the, you know, vacation Bible school folks out there, she is from the tribe of Aaron. Aaron in the Old Testament, right? The priestly tribe, he is the high priest of Israel. His line are the ones that are in God's temple ministering day in, day out. So she is of royal lineage, She is a righteous woman, she is old, and she is barren, and then guess what else? In the midst of all this, the Bible says that she has shame. How can this royal, righteous woman feel shame? Do you know that it's possible to be right with God and still have shame? It is righteous to be walking with God, to be doing everything right, to have your family doing everything with right, and you still be saturated with what we call cultural shame. I'm serving right. I'm giving, loving my family, loving my spouse, loving my kids, 
even my tithes and offering. But because I don't have what the culture says I should have, I feel shame. And so this is Elizabeth's story. She has done everything right. And how many, and sometimes we again can feel like that. You know, I'm mid, right? As they say, I'm JV, right? I don't have what they have. I'm doing everything right. I feel shame. I have a quote from the African Bible commentary, and it says this. Baroness canceled what was regarded as a woman's main function in life, the bearing of children to her husband. It denied women the, the highest status and security she could have. Barrenness was thought of as a woman's fault and a punishment for sin or a result of God forgetting the woman. This is the culture and the time of Elizabeth. She feels shame. And God is so good that he meets this woman in her shame. God takes nothing and he makes everything. And to, and to crystallize this point, the angel says that with God, all things are possible. Her story tells us of the God that opens wombs, the God that can raise the dead, the God that can save sinners, the God that can make the blind see, the God that can make the lame walk, the God that can heal marriages, restore lives, free addicts, promote on the job, cancel debts, even close business deals because he's so good. The God that brings rain for the farmer, the God that regulates minds, the God that can heal depression and anxiety, the God that can heal generations and decades of trauma, and the God that can shatter unjust systems and nations. This is the God that we serve, y'all. If you're looking for a miracle and if God is silent, you better watch out because God may come partner with you. Say it again, Pastor. If you're looking for a miracle and you're praying to God to work something out, be careful because God might just come and partner with you. And this is Elizabeth's story. God has found this old, barren, culturally shamed woman. He's just like, I'm about to partner with you, sister. And I'm about to bring something great into your life, but also into the world through you. That is who God partners with. My second point is this. Give to others what God gives you. Give to others what God gives you. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 7 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of our comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. I'm saying this for this reason. Elizabeth has been barren. 
And she has this baby that's on the way. She's in month six. She's about to go into the fourth quarter, y'all. She's almost there. It's crunch time. And her cousin comes to see her. And we see two women at the opposite ends of God's blessings at different points in time. One is old. One is young. One is a virgin. One was barren with years of trying. One is coming out of a struggle, and another one is about to go into a struggle. And I believe I know now why Mary left to talk to Elizabeth, despite the angel's words. Mary knew that she was about to experience deep joy and and deep discomfort at the same time. Could you imagine this? I am a virgin in a society where I am supposed to be pure for my husband, and I'm about to have a baby. I'm about to experience not only God's deep covenantal blessing, but I'm about to have dirt and shame and God knows what else put on my name. I need to find somebody that can talk to me, and who else to do it but the person in my family, Elizabeth, who has endured this for decades, and we see God's promise. And she beelines to go see Elizabeth. She is on the precipice of destiny, and the only person she knew that could give her a word of wisdom was her cousin. And I am so impressed with Elizabeth, because this is what happens the moment she sees Mary. One thing about me as I preach and teach, I like to give pictures, right? I like to give pictures because when I read the text, I'm envisioning this story play out in history and in real time. And the moment Elizabeth sees Mary, do you know what she does? She does not even talk about herself. If I was blessed like that, I was saying, Lord, you see what God did? You see that? What them haters think now, Right? She doesn't do that. The moment Mary comes to see her, Elizabeth showers Mary with praise, showers her cousin. And guess what? Think about the jealousy that could potentially happen. Elizabeth gets something late, a child, that Mary gets early. I'm 60, 70 years old, and I just got my baby, and you're 12, 13, 14, maybe as early as 20, and you getting yours even asked for a baby? Could you imagine the, man, look, some of our family members, right? We'd be jealous, wouldn't it? Right? Right? But Elizabeth doesn't do that. She does not do that. She showers Mary with praise. She affirms her in who she is. And without jealousy, ignores her blessing, though not ignore, she foregoed what God was doing for her to affirm what God was doing in somebody else. So here's my question to the Av. Are you giving back to others what God gave to you? If God has given you encouragement, if God has given you faith, if God has given you a testimony, if God has given you Uh, a picture of his goodness and faithfulness and his restoration. Are you giving that back to the people around you? Because Mary has has in her stomach pretty soon the fate of the cosmos. 
and it's weighing on her. And Elizabeth, seeing that, showers her with praise. So much so that even her baby, John the Baptist, leaps when he sees Mary. There is a testimony going on in this conversation to saying, hey, sister, guess what? I got through it. God can do it. He can do it for you, too. Are we giving to our people what God gives to us? And Elizabeth's words are so powerful. They reach Mary so much that the moment she gets that word from Elizabeth, blessed are you. Mary goes into a song that we call the Magnificat. It's in Latin, which means praises. It is a song of praise to God and who he is. It is a message of God's faithfulness, but also a message of God's liberation. That gets me to my third point of our, of our text as we think about Advent. Advent is a message of liberation. We live in a culture that's obsessed with this, right? We have to liberate our views of family, our views of faith, our views of sexuality, our views of the body. We have to liberate people from these oppressive mindsets so they can be free to do what they want to do, right? That is the story of our culture. And to be honest, liberation is not, is not entirely evil, right? We want to free people from unjust structures, systems, and even erroneous theological views. But the dangers when I take liberation, when I take deconstruction, and I move away from the truth of God's word, and I create what's called my own self-made do-it-yourself spirituality. That is where liberation and deconstruction goes wrong. And so as we think about Advent, as we think about the story of our culture, it is also a story and a message of liberation. To hit this point home, one of my favorite uh, quotes about this is by Esau Macaulay. Hope we can get the picture up. His book, Reading While Black, it came out about two or three years ago. He opens the book by saying this. Um, when he was in Bible college, he had professors that thought highly of social justice in the culture. And they saw the scriptures as a book that opposes true justice in the culture. One of the things he noticed was, as his professors were teaching him about theology and this liberal view and to doubt God's word, he noticed that as they were doing this, trying to give him social justice in a view of equality and freedom, they were actually removing the scriptures and the foundation beneath him. And so in the very efforts to free me from this, they actually put me in bondage and I was left with no foundation. That is the issue that we see in society, is that in, our, is that in our ability, in our desire to liberate people, we are leaving them with no foundation, and we're seeing the chaos that's ensuing with it. It is chaos in our homes, it's chaos in the system, it's chaos in the church, there's chaos everywhere because in, the, in our view to liberate people, we're actually not giving them a foundation to hold on. But this does not pertain to our text in this way for this reason. Because even though we're talking about liberation here, Luke's gospel account, the true word of scripture, is a gospel for the poor and to the women. Because we see Luke talking about Elizabeth, Mary. He even gives, as, what's, as, as, as what some scholars say, he even gives us Mary's genealogy. Luke even mentions the only female prophetess seen in the gospel, 
uh, Anna. And even at the resurrection, he says that there is Mary, the Mary mother of James, and even a woman named Joanna and the other woman. Luke's gospel is a gospel to women because throughout his entire text, he's saying that women are valuable in the eyesight of God. He's saying that women are, par- are paramount to the gospel story. And to be honest, this is crazy at this point in time for this reason. If I'm wanting to prove the gospel true at this point in time, I am not using a woman. I'm using men. And Luke opens up this gospel by talking about women. He gives us Elizabeth. He gives us Mary. He gives us Joanna. He gives us Anna. He gives us all these pictures of women in the gospel story. And he does it for this reason. So a man named Theophilus, named Theophilus may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. He is using women to prove the gospel true. This is countercultural. But in doing so, he is showing that the gospel is not a gospel to men. It's not a gospel to the powerful. But it's a gospel to the poor, the marginalized. And that even falls down to the women of the period and the time and for all time. It is a gospel of liberation because God liberates Elizabeth from her shame. We see this liberation in Mary's song. And even as we think about Advent and our songs that we sing, we see this message of God liberating humanity. For example, O holy night, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, that earth receive her king. Church, there is a new system coming. There is a new king coming, and one day he will write everything that we see, and the systems of this world will be flipped on their head for God to be praised. Amen, somebody. This is the message of Advent. This is our message. As I close and go back to my seat, y'all had a, I had a bomb shirt I was going to wear. My wife was like, no, don't wear that. It's all good. But my shirt was, uh, I have Perpetua and Felicity, right? You may not heard of them, but they are two women from third century A.D. They are renowned in Christian tradition because they're from North Africa. And they were martyrs at the time. Perpetua was from an affluent family that became a Christian and died for her faith in the arena with Felicity. But Felicity was none of that. She was a slave. She was a third century martyr who was revered in the church of old. She's also a slave. She was a woman. She was a slave, and peeped this, she was a Christian. Romans saw Jews and Christians together as one faith, as a sect of a Judaism, Christians. And they thought our religion was so inferior because we had uneducated prophets and teachers. So she was a woman, she was a slave, she was a Christian. Everything about her was inferior to Roman society. And so when she's thrown in the pit of this arena, nobody even bats an eye, and she's pregnant with the baby. 
as she's marching to her death, as she's in, in her cell, about to be released into the arena, the Roman soldier that was, wa- that was watching her began to mock her and tease her and humiliate her. She says this, Now it is I that suffer what I suffer, but then there will be another in me who will suffer for me. Because I also am about to suffer for him. So this slave woman, who's a Christian, is about to be marched to her death to be torn apart by beasts with thousands of people cheering on her death, being mocked by a soldier. She is willing to suffer for the one who suffered for her first. Because she knew in her final moments, she would be with this God. And she knew where her final home and her identity rested. Her suffering was temporary while the soldiers would be eternal. Her identity was secure while the soldiers were shaky. She had a place with God while the soldier had a place in hell. We serve a God who gives comfort in hard seasons, who brings glory to shame, who can reverse our situation, who lifts up the slave and can bring down those who abuse power. I don't know about you, y'all, but this is Advent for me. This is Advent. This is the one that I worship. He is the one that gives salvation over store sales who gives joy over jealousy, who gives peace over playstations, who gives mercy over money, who gives contentment over greed. This is the God I serve, and I pray and I hope that as we think about Advent, we think about this God who remembers the forgotten, this God who frees and who liberates, and this God who has compelled us to give what, we give, what he's given to us to others. This is the Advent season. This is why we worship God. This is our King, and this is what he wants from us. This is what he wants from us. So my charge is, as we take communion today, as we come to the table, let us remember the God who made us worthy, the God who redeemed us, and who invites us and all people to commune with him this Advent season. Amen.